here. I just need to set that. Okay, so we live in an age where it's being instructed. Example, your pastor is, is this perfect example here. Um, and so uh, that's why, though, for the past week, uh, certain people have been giving me a hard time for looking at my phone during a conversation. It's not my fault that I always have a photo I can share that's pertinent to these conversations. But it reminds me of something that I learned in my communications classes. It's that when we talk, we, we talk with our eyes. I'm not going to have a conversation with you and look this way the entire time. That would be weird. And one of the things about talking with your eyes is, is, is you're, you're looking at someone. But one thing that that does is that it, it humanizes the other person. And that's what what Paul is doing here. We can't overlook the fact that Paul addresses children. Our our culture is almost the opposite in a lot of ways. Like we like to idolize our children and and like live our lives through them and and do everything we can for them. But children in in this day and age were the least in society. They, They were property. You don't have any rights, and you don't have any say-so, and you don't have any responsibilities. And it's and that's Paul. It's as if Paul, after addressing husbands and wives, takes the children by their faces and looks directly into their eyes. He humanizes them. He gives them dignity. It would have been culturally crazy for Paul to address children as responsible human beings here. But that's just what he does. He addresses them as humans and he gives them responsibility. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, it's absolutely true that children should obey their parents no matter what. In fact, it's true of all societies that every culture values children obeying their parents. But we can't lose this side of the fact that Paul is addressing Christian children. This is He's addressing Christian children, saved children. And when I was younger, I always had trouble figuring out like what following Christ meant for me. It's like I always felt like what... I can't do anything. I can't drive. I don't have any money. Like, there's like nothing for me to do. I can't do great things for Christ. But what I failed to understand was that one of my primary responsibilities was to obey my parents. Not just because obeying your parents is a good thing to do. Remember, Almost every culture, if not every culture in the world, values this. So it's not just because it's a good thing to do, but because it was uniquely my responsibility as a follower of Christ. Children who are Christian have the responsibility to show that they are submitting to Christ, and they do this primarily by obeying their parents. If I were to go back and talk to my teenage self and say and and ask, what is God's will for your life? Obey your parents. That's God's will for your life. That's why Paul in Romans 1, he's listing all these these sins, right? These degenerate sins found when humanity rejects God. And he says they disobey their parents. Disobedience to parents is disobedience to Christ and is an indicator that children are not truly submitting to Christ. 
So what this means is saved children are responsible members of the saved community. We hold them accountable just as we would one another. Now here's where Paul gets really interesting. He he quotes uh, the fifth commandment. Obey your parents and he quotes the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments. And he says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, part of why this is interesting is that just in chapter 2, verse 15, Paul wrote, Christ broke down the dividing wall of hostility. How? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. So that includes this commandment. That's what Paul's referring to. He's not referring to just part of the law and commandments. He's referring to all of them. And so... Not only is, does that make it interesting, but what makes it more interesting is that Paul includes the promise that it will go well with him in the land. That promise was to Israel about the promised land. There's a lot of discussion. Lots. I mean, and, and it's not going to end. It probably may not even end when we get in heaven. But there's a lot of discussion about how New Testament believers are to apply Old Testament laws and commands. It's really, there's no simple answer for it. But what we can say is that there's both a continuity and a discontinuity. Some things are the same, some things remain, and then some things are done. Some things are over. What has changed is how Christians relate to the law, how we relate to these commands. To give you an understanding of what that means, Christ himself says in Luke, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And when Christ spoke that, it would have blown their minds. So here's what all of that means for us. The character of God is enshrined in the law with its commandments and its ordinances. His character is, is depicted through it. And all of those things must be filtered through the coming of Christ. Because the coming of Christ completely transforms our understanding of it. And so what this means is that every command we read and every promise we read has a new application for those who are in Christ. So yes, Christian children must obey their parents, not simply because it is a rule, but out of submission to Christ. Yet... Their allegiance to Christ trumps their allegiance to their parents. You see how that command is transformed? Honor your father and mother, but do it out of submission to Christ. But your allegiance to Christ is greater than your allegiance to your parents, your own parents. So that the command is transformed, but the, the promise is transformed as well. So this promise but Paul quoting this here is not just about this narrow strip of land in the Middle East. Peter Walker explains this well. He said, God's rule over the promised land is now extended through Christ to the whole world. 
and his true people are a worldwide community, not an ethnic group associated with a particular land. So why must children obey their parents? Not just because it's good, not just because it's a rule. They do it out of submission to Christ for the sake of Christ. It's the difference between waking up early and having to go to school and waking up early to go hunting. You do one because you have to, but you do the other because you want to. Children, love your parents well because you love Christ well. Children, obey their parents for the sake of Christ. So if you're following along in Ephesians, this week we're talking about family. Last week we talked about marriage, Christian marriage. And and like Christian marriage, Christian families are a two-way street. So children obey their parents for the sake of Christ. Parents nourish their children for the sake of the gospel. Parents nourish their children for the sake of the gospel. Paul, when he's done addressing children, he he looks directly at fathers and he, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So mothers, you're off the hook. Just kidding. I think Paul has both fathers and mothers in mind, but I think he addresses fathers specifically for a reason. The first is that fathers have the unique role as heads of the family, right? We saw that last week. The Husbands are the head, right? And so husbands have this role as the head of the family. And as heads of the family, fathers have a special duty to see this kind of discipleship and obedience through. And what that means is they have the special duty to guide their wives in discipling their children too. So fathers have this unique duty as heads of the house. But secondly, fathers have a terrible tendency to do exactly this. Provoke their children to anger. To exasperate their children. To demand too much. To place unrealistic expectations on them. To provoke them to anger. Tony Marita lists some possible causes of angering our children, failing to take into account the fact that they are kids. I heard that a lot when Willa was a baby. She's just a baby. She can help. Comparing them to others, disciplining them inconsistently, failing to express genuine approval or pride in their accomplishments. Disciplining them out of frustration or anger. Pressuring them to pursue the goals that we want, not their own goals. It could be demanding unrealistic expectations or making it about you wanting to appear to others how good of a dad or a parent you are. All of these things exasperate and provoke our children to anger. So here at Liberty, we have a lot of people who used to be in the military. We have farmers and blue-collar workers. I wore my blue shirt on purpose today. I'm just 
kidding. But I'm not, he's not in here, he left just now, but I'm not going to take Jerry out for tea. Right, we're going to go get meat. We're going to go get meat, we're not going to drink tea, you know, with our pinkies. We're going to be men, we're going to be tough. And so that's the thing about country guys and military guys, we value toughness. And I'm all about being tough, I think. But when we filter toughness through Scripture, it's the toughness of being kind. The toughness of being compassionate and patient and humble. These are not things our culture says that make a man. Being a man is, is punching back and hitting back and, and putting down. But no, through Scripture, being man is being man enough to admit your wrongs. That's manliness. So the great danger here that Paul is warning of is being a hypocrite. Because nothing, nothing will diminish gospel witness like parents who are hypocritical about the gospel. Children must see the gospel reflected in their parents' lives. They must see that it actually changes, that it actually transforms. They must see that the gospel is real and it's something to cherish. Fathers and mothers should work together to show that obedience is a joy. Obedience to Christ is not just a command, it's a joy. So the goal isn't just don't provoke your children to anger, it's also nourish and disciple them. Paul says, fathers, don't, don't provoke your children to anger. Instead, nourish them, disciple them. This looks like being present with your kids. Being present, spending time with them, enjoying your kids for who they are. Doing with them what they want to do may not look like what you want to do. In the context of a joyful relationship, talking to them about Christ teaching them scripture, praying with them and for them. Danny Aiken said, have fun and talk about Jesus a lot. Have fun and talk about Jesus a lot. And here's what's hard for parents to do. Not just asking repentance of them. You did wrong, so I'm asking you to apologize and repent. But repenting to your kids. Yeah, you should repent to your kids if you lose your anger with them, sin against them, or in front of them. And if you're human, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to practice this. Show them that the gospel is real and that Christ is awesome. Talk about sin and the dangers that they face. Talk about justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Show them that Christ is awesome. I saw someone recently, um, social media, you know, you see a bunch of stuff on social media, but I saw 
someone on social media recently say that they would be willing to lose their friends over their morals. Don't teach your kids the value of morals. Teach your kids the value of Christ. There's a big difference. There's a lot of fear right now about where our culture and where our nation is headed. Socialism being one of these dangers. Socialism is a real danger. And I want to teach Willa about governments. And I want to teach her about cultures and governmental and economic systems. I want her to know about these things and to think about these things. But more than that, I want to teach her that she can thrive as a Christian no matter what kind of government she's under. She has all the resources she needs in Christ to thrive as a Christian. Whether she stays here in America and remains capitalist, or whether she's a missionary in China, she can thrive as a Christian. She has all the resources she needs in Christ to thrive and to live full and free, all because of Christ. So parents, don't simply expect obedience of your children. Nourish them in the gospel for the sake of the gospel. It's not just obedience that we want in our kids. It's a love for Christ that leads to obedience. Do everything that you can to plant the gospel deep into your children's hearts. Now, obviously, last week, talking about husbands and wives, and this week we're talking about families. Some of you sitting in here might be thinking, well, this doesn't have anything to do with me. I I hope that you see that it does have very much to do with you, but, but let's talk about the church's role. Support young families. Support them and pray for them and exercise accountability. How are you doing with your kids? Younger families need to learn from older generations. And older generations teach young families. Teach them about what you thought you did well and also about what you think you should have done differently. Invite them into your home and say, I want these younger families in my home because I not only want to learn from them, but I want to teach them. Share life together. You don't really know what this means until you experience it, but parenthood is one of the best things in life and one of the hardest things in life. I mean, difficult. And why it's so hard is because I'm constantly confronted with my own selfishness and my own failures every single day. And I don't have time to be selfish because this other human being is demanding that I be selfless. It's hard. It's difficult. Failure is the path of parenthood. There's no path of success, successful parenting. It's, it's a failing path, a failure's path. 
We fail miserably. We fail shamefully. We fail horribly in ways that we thought we would never stumble or fail, but we do. But that failure is meant to drive us to Christ. It's meant to drive us to cry out for grace and help and utter dependence. It's meant to drive us to rest in our righteousness in Him. Yes, Lord, I am this great of a sinner and more, but praise You, I am righteous in You. My standing does not change based on how horribly I can treat my kids. That's grace. We're justified by faith alone in Christ on the cross took all of your failures as a parent. Your failures as a parent were all laid on Christ and you bear none of them. So what we get to do is we get to fail freely. To repent openly about Christ. We don't have to hide Hide ugly sins from Christ. We can say this, you see this more truly than I do. We don't have to hide from our kids. We can say, I sinned against you. I have no, I have nothing else I can say besides I'm sorry and I was wrong. We can repent openly and freely because of who we are in Christ. You are a great sinner, a greater sinner than you imagine, but we have a great Savior, a greater Savior in Christ. Christian children and Christian parents have all the resources that they need in Christ. Good times come from the Lord and bad times come from the Lord. And you already have everything you need in Christ. For obedience and repentance for your successes and your failures. Christian children are commanded to obey their parents as Christian parents nourish their children for the sake of gospel endurance, for the sake of the preservation of the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, just as you have supplied a perfect husband to us, your church in Christ, you are also a great and perfect father. We all in this room have imperfect fathers. Dads who have failed us. Dads who have done much worse than fail us. Who sinned against us and never repented. But you are a perfect father, good in all that you do, tough in your compassion, tough in your patience, tough in your grace, a father who never disciplines out of anger, a father who always disciplines out of love and grace and goodness, a father who always plans good for your children. A father who is there for fathers and mothers who fail. Who provided our payment for our failures. You have 
become our Father in Christ, and we praise you for that. So whether it's children who are in Christ or parents who are in Christ, may all of our obedience not be just because this is good. May our obedience be not just be because this is just right, but because of our great love for you. And always, Father, when we lose our focus, get our focus back on gospel endurance, gospel longevity, gospel preservation. And it's always because of your grace and by your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.